Welcome to the Period Story Podcast, the podcast where we get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods. We chat with women about their period story, their first period, their journey ever since, and we open up a conversation to help break taboos and stigmas around menstruation. I'm your host, Denise Brothers. I'm a yoga teacher and registered nutritionist specializing in women's health, hormones, and the menstrual cycle. I'm also the author of You Can Have a Better Period, the book Publishers Weekly calls an empowering debut, an informative, refreshing take on women's health. It's available from Amazon, Bookshop, and anywhere else you purchase books. Today's episode of Period Story is such a good one. I have a fantastic conversation with Dr. Gonus Golshirasi, who is a scientist, entrepreneur, and one of the co-founders of ScreenMe, which is a patient-centric at-home testing company. Gonus shares a really powerful story of how she was diagnosed with endometriosis, how it took her nearly 6,000 pounds to find out that she had endometriosis, and the fluke that led to her finally going down the right diagnosis pathway. Hi, Gulnish. Thank you so much for coming onto the show today. I'm really excited to chat to you. Um, you ha- we have a le- lot of the same common interests, so really excited to chat. Um, but first, tell me the story of your very first period. Ah, uh, <laughs> thank you for having me. Um, yeah, it's it's um, it's a story that I don't think I'll ever forget. Um, probably one of the most dramatic moments of my, my life. Um, I think I was, I know I was 12. I was 12 and I was on holiday with my family um, and my extended family, my aunts and my uncles. And, and we were all staying at, you know, at a big, a big house. Um, and I was, you know, I was a child. I feel like 12 year olds these days are a bit more mature than 12 year olds my day for some reason. <laughs> you know, I feel like at 12, I was just a child. I was, you know, I was playing. Um, it, it was it was all a lot more innocent and and I remember it very vividly the sudden pain it was it was like someone stabbed me in my right side and it was very very it just took the air out of me um, and I was doubled over um, it wasn't anything subtle it wasn't any kind of cramping it was extreme pain agonizing pain um, and I I was doubling over. I was telling my mom. Everyone knew I'm not well. They thought it's my appendix. You know, they thought something's going wrong. Um, it was talk of should we go to the hospital? Should we not go to the hospital? No one thought she started her period. Um, it wasn't something that anyone you know came to any. Even my mom. You know, no one just thought maybe she started her period. Um, it was only after, you know, after quite a, quite a bit, quite a few minutes or so, I needed to go to the bathroom. And I went to the toilet, pulled down my pants, and I screamed because there's blood, you know. Um, and when you've been in that much pain and there's so much drama happening and, and everyone thinks I have to go to the hospital and I don't know what's wrong and suddenly there's blood, um, you think you're dying. You know, I was like, I must be dying. This is it. Um and I screamed and, and my mum re- came running in and I said, there's blood, I'm going to die. Uh, and she said, no, you're not dying. You've started your period. Um, and, and that was, that was how it, that was how it started. <laughs> and did you know what was, what, what, what a period was? So when you said, when, when you told your mum that you, you know, you thought you were dying. <laughs> yeah. And then she said, oh, that's actually your period. Yeah. Had you been taught a bit about periods at that point? Yeah, yeah. I did know about periods. Um, you know, I think 
unlike a lot of um, kids, actually, I asked, you know, when I asked my mom's, I asked my mom how babies are made at the age of, I think, seven, six, I think I was six. I asked my mom how are babies made. And my mom sat me down with a book on female anatomy. And, um, and she actually told me all about periods. Um, she didn't tell me about how the sperm meets the egg. Um, and, and the baby, but she told me all about all the steps in between. <laughs> so I, you know, she told me a lot about periods. She told me how periods are, what happens, you bleed. So at the age of six, seven, I was told, you know, in scientific detail, um, what periods are and how they happen. Um, and then, you know, some of my friends started their periods a bit earlier at the age of like nine, 10. Um, so, so I knew of, you know, I knew that happens, but it's not something that, I think at that age, until you start yours, it's not something you spend much time thinking about um, or or just acknowledging either, other than the fact that one day I'm going to start my periods um, and that's going to involve bleeding. You don't really think about it at all. And you don't know, you know, I didn't pay attention to more than that, other than the fact that I'll bleed one day. That was all that was in my head. But at that point, that left my head, you know, I didn't think that, um, that was going to happen now. And this is it. Wow. And, um, I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of people can relate to that because, you know, kids, they, you know, they ask questions, they're really forthright and they're really kind of, you know, they got straight to the point, but then you can just tell like once they've got to take in the information that they want to know, they just lose interest. It just, it just yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so you had this experience where your first period was incredibly painful. And then how did it go from there? Um, you know, it was really difficult. I think that you know, that day was very difficult. It, it was the matter of, you know, the pain, all the pain. And then being told I've started my period. When my mom told me it's my period, I started crying. Um, because I think I was overwhelmed by so, you know, is a massive change in your life as a woman. Um, and, and I started crying and I think it was because first of all, I had to acknowledge that my life has changed now. Um, and, and, you know, you know, I've, I've never been a big fan of change. Like, <laughs> so, so that was the first sign. <laughs> um, and then and then there was the overwhelming feeling of shame that everyone in that house now knew that I'd started my period because it started so dramatically <laughs> um that everyone would be asking and knowing so there was also that the fact that now everyone knows that I've started my period. And um, although my family have never been a type that would shame periods or women and, you know, it, it quite empowered um, line of women in, in my family, but I still felt that shame of people knowing that um, I've, I've started my period and I'm bleeding. And then there was the matter of, is it going to be like this for the rest of my life? Um, that daunted, you know, I kind of just sat as a child, you kind of think, am I going to be in pain? And so, so it took me a moment to to come to terms with all of those complicated emotions. Um, and going forward, I had quite regular periods. They would come uh, regularly every month and they would come painfully every month. Um, my mother had painful periods. Um, so did her mother. Uh, and 
And so it wasn't something that was out of the norm. It was like, this is what periods are like um, for our, for the women of our family. And and so you kind of inherit it, uh, that pain. And, and, and that's how it went. And of course, holidays ended and I had to go back to school. Um, and that meant going to school as a, as, as a woman, as a young woman who, who has periods, painful periods, who has to miss school every month or so because of her periods. Um, so it was a start of, of a struggle um, of some sort in my life. It's really interesting that you said that, you know, other people in your family knowing that you had just started your period was a source of, of shame and that you had made that link between people knowing about your period and shame so early on. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think it happens so automatically and instinctively that you don't process, you don't think why you're feeling shame, you just do. And it's not like anyone had instilled that shame in me. No one had ever said, you know, periods are bad or periods are dirty or periods are something we need to hide. No one had ever said that to me, but I still felt shame. Um, And, uh, you know, thinking about it now, um, it must, you know, looking back, we don't talk about periods. Yeah, no one says they're bad and no one says they're dirty and no one says they're a problem, but no one talks about them full stop. And I think when we don't talk about something, automatically it comes with a baggage of shame. Um, and I think that was the case, is this secret that women carry with them that is never spoken about. And mine was very public in that moment. Um, and I think that is what triggered that shame for me is, you know, I've never heard anyone else advertise their period or I've never seen anyone else like, you know, make such a big deal out of their period. Um, and, and now everyone knows about mine. Um, and, and so that automatically made me quite embarrassed. Mm. Uh, uh, and and then I think it goes on, you know, you then learn about your period, you know, you, well, you knew, but you kind of learn about your specific period and you go on in life and every month it comes, but you don't tell anyone that it's come. You just get on with it. Um, and mine was painful. I would be embarrassed to tell anyone because it just feels like you're making a scene. Like, you know, everyone else has periods and they're not talking about them. So I felt a little more even because mine were, was painful. And I would think, would people think I'm being a drama queen? Would, you know, um, would people think I'm lying? Um, because not everyone seems to be feeling what I'm feeling. Um, and not everyone seems to need to take a day out of school because they have their period. So it was a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, the inherent shame of having a period, then the added shame of I'm someone who can't deal with her period pains as well as others. Um, uh, yeah, complicated, complicated time. And then you eventually learn that, oh, it's not just women. Men is even worse. You don't want your male teachers to know you've started your period. You know, that was even more embarrassing. Um, and again, it's because no one speaks about it. You know, you know, it's some is a topic that is it's just the elephant in the room. It exists, but everyone ignores it. So if you stop ignoring it, you automatically feel shame. Mm. And having a period that was so painful that you would miss school every month. How did you cope with that? Was because you would have had to have that conversation with one of your parents to say like. I'm in so much pain. Yeah. I can't go to school. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my mother was always um, on the inn. Um, you know, it was, you know, they, they knew. I, it, the first day of my period would be a day that I can't even walk, let alone, you know, go. I, I wouldn't be able to walk for a couple of hours good couple of hours uh, is a time where where I can't walk um you know I would sometimes um not often but sometimes uh, I would even vomit because because it'd just be so painful um and so my you know my mom my sister my you know my immediate family um would would always know interestingly I would never talk to my father about it um again I think it just comes from that kind of thing of that was installed in me of like you just don't talk, you know, it's just embarrassing. Um, I, I knew my mom would tell him. <laughs> I, I wouldn't tell him directly, right? It's just something I wouldn't do. Um, and so it was, you know, my family knew. So, you know, my mom knew. I would always get very upset also because I had to miss school and I, I didn't know what kind of implications that would have. And and I didn't find school to be the, very understanding either. You know, it wasn't, I don't think schools are educated enough um, on the matters of female health, even though I went to an all-girls school, um, you know, and it kind of makes you think, you think these are young women going through the system and this is where they spend more time than they do at home. Um, how is it that there's so little information on, on the basic anatomy and physiology of, of women at school? There just wasn't. Um, and, and no one ever spoke to me about my periods at school. No one ever spoke to me about my health at school. Um, and in my, in my, at year, when I left my school at year 11, I have a yearbook and my teacher and my form teacher has written a little note in that yearbook. And she says, never had a student who's missed so many days of school for health. Um, and, you know, I, you know, this is kind of like a reminder for me of, of how uneducated our educational system is when it comes to women's health. Um, how even women at these institutions still are lacking information um, on how to, educate younger girls about their health and how to care for them um, when it comes to their health. That's really shocking that a teacher would not only say that, but write it in your yearbook as like, you know, a permanent reminder of how how she viewed you. And it was through this prism of your poor health. Yeah. Very, very surprising. And just underlines your point that teachers need better education on this topic. Definitely. And then I read, I read online that you you said that you had to spend around six thousand pounds of your savings ordering private tests to help you get an eventual diagnosis of endometriosis at age twenty seven. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about that journey? Because you know you started with very very painful periods. You missed a lot of school when you were in secondary, and then. 27. So you had finished your university. I, I'm guessing you were, had finished or you were doing your PhD. That's a long time to be battling with a monthly kind of issue that condition that, you know, would be so debilitating. It is a long time and it's exhausting, Glenice. It's, um, it takes a toll. People don't notice it. You know, you think disabilities are visible. And you think you would be able to see them. Um, they're not. Um, and I think uh, having chronic pain, regular chronic pain, 
um, or regular pain is a disability. Mm. It does it interferes with your life in every stage. So it started, like you said, at secondary school, it had already started doing that. Um, it was interfering in my life. It affected my friendships. It affected my relationship with my teachers. Um, it affected my confidence, um, you know, lack of control. Because even though they're regular and they're coming, you never know exactly when it's going to hit and how bad it's going to hit. Um, and so planning is hard, you know, knowing play dates, birthdays at that age. And and my period would come and I can't go. Um, you know, I, I can't go. And then university, you, you get better at dealing with it. You get, you get better at um, hiding that one day. Um, but then there are times when I was at Cambridge doing my undergrad, you know, I did uh, let's go back to A-levels. I was doing my A-levels. That's the first time I went to the doctors. And I said, I've got very painful periods. And I think they might come when I have exams, my A-level exams. And I'm terrified because I won't be able to sit my exam if I'm in on my period. And uh, my GP told me to take paracetamol. Um, and that, <laughs> um, you know, you, you'd think if I need, if paracetamol was going to solve my problem, I wouldn't be here. Hmm. Um uh, and that was my first encounter with the medical system around period pains. I was lucky my period didn't come on my A-level exams. Um, and then I went to university and I was at Cambridge. Cambridge is an intense, intense environment. Um, and you sit exams at the end of the year, which dictate your entire year. Um, and that, you know, the anxiety, that, that was my nightmare. This is my period coming then. And it did. One day it did. And I, I had an exam. I had my evolution and behavior exam. And I remember it waking up in the morning and I couldn't breathe. And I had an exam. I called the porters at the college and I said, I've started my period and I can't move. And I thought to myself, he must be thinking this whole college is girls. Everyone living in this building is girls. Why is this woman calling me? He <laughs> 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 was very good. You know, he was he was an elderly gentleman who was very, very gentle. And he said, you know, stay put. I'm going to make some calls. And they made some calls and they got back to me and said, do not fret. We are coming with the exam paper. Um, and so they brought the exam paper to my bedroom um, and they said, you can sit it here. I, at the time, I was grateful. I could not be more grateful. I said, oh, my goodness, look at these people. They're going out of their way. They're bringing my exam paper. It was only after the exam, they took the paper away and I sat there and I cried um, because it don't, you know, it, it kind of came, <laughs> came to me that I sat that paper in terrible pain, um, let alone the hormones, you know but terrible pain. Um, I was doubling over while writing. Um, and that's not okay. You know, it, it's, it wasn't, that's not something to be grateful for. Um, and, and I guess it was a wake up call for me then that there's, you know, something is wrong with me, but I can't be the only person. And surely this system needs to wake up. Um, people need to know that this happens and it's not okay. I cannot be measured to people who don't have as much pain at the same time, let alone men who never have periods. Hmm. Um, how are we putting everyone on the same scale? Um, you know, I, I understand the whole, you know, equality. I want to be equal. I want to have the same rights, but we have to look at the ground we're standing on and make sure we balance that before we start measuring people and equality. We cannot expect someone you can't expect a fish to climb a tree, right? <laughs> yeah. you, have to, you have to give them first the apparatus to breathe outside water before you expect them to climb. Um, and that's how I felt. You know, I felt like I was I was being asked to compete 
with people who just it wasn't fair I, I didn't you know it wasn't fair um that's when I started being interested in in the system the healthcare and, and I started pushing the GP I started asking for help I was told I have anxiety I was given anxiety medication I was giving depression medication I was told I have IBS um I was told I have um the PCOS um all of that uh and nothing helped everyone was throwing these terms at me without giving me any explanation my symptoms got worse not my period symptoms but my other symptoms I would go to hospital outside of my period every month uh, or so at least three four times a, a year um from abdominal pain just severe abdominal pain and they would be scanning me they wanted to you know wanted to get my appendix out they thought maybe it's the appendix maybe it's that none of it and I didn't let them because there was no there was no sign that there is an appendix issue um and then I started I decided to go private um and I spent a lot of money on private scanning nothing was found doctors still didn't find anything and then accidentally at one of my scans where we had um it was a gastro actually a gastro uh, specialist uh, i i kind of insisted to him and he, he was a guy and he was one of he's one of my better doctors and i insisted to him that i can feel something very low down i said you know if i wasn't sure that i'm not pregnant i would think i'm pregnant there's something i can feel and he said let's have a let's have an ultrasound of your abdo- uh, abdomen and they did an ultrasound and again i was very lucky it's all a matter of luck really i was very lucky that the person who was doing the ultrasound that day um said to me, listen, I don't think your gut, there's anything with your gut, but I, I let me get my colleague who who does ultrasounds on women um, and she specialized, I want her to have a look. So someone else came in, she had a look and she said to me, I think you need to see a gynecologist and ask them to investigate endometriosis. And I asked her, how, you know, how come you're saying this? Um, you know, I know that you can't see endometriosis on an external scan. Um, and she said, no, you you can't. And I can't be 100% sure, but I've done a lot of scans and I know a lot of women. And what I'm seeing to me doesn't look like the average polycystic ovarian cysts. To me, they look like they might be different type of cysts. And so they might actually be endometriosis rather than polycystic. And she was my miracle angel in that in that moment. You know, it was just by chance that she was there. And this guy who was doing my scan decided to get her opinion. Um, and so then I paid more to go see another gynecologist um, with those results. And they did an MRI um, uh, and more scans and they confirmed an endometriosis diagnosis. And I didn't stop there. I mean, I, I was overwhelmed because I was like, finally, I know, I know what's going on. Um, and, but the first thing that my, that gynecologist told me was, okay, well, what we can do is we can have, we can, you know, do my colon was stopped to my cervix. And um, she said, you know, we can go in and do some surgery, but then you'll have a year to get pregnant. At this point, she hadn't asked me if I'm trying to get pregnant, if I'm even in a position to try out. I wasn't in a position to try. That was the last thing on my mind at that point. Um, and that was it. That was all I was provided. Is So I just thanked her and I left and I called another gynecologist um, and I went and saw another gynecologist. Um, and he said, you know, he was, he explained to me more. He explained that he thinks that we shouldn't t- be hasty in, 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 in taking making decisions. Um, he offered me hormonal contraception, but it wasn't right for me. I have a family history of embolisms or blood clots. And so I didn't want to have any hormonal interventions. Um, and so it was, and he said to me, okay, well, now we have to say, what do you want? You're not trying to have a baby. So what do you want? And I said, I want to I live a better life. I want to be more in charge of my body 
and I want to control my symptoms. And obviously I'm concerned about my future fertility. So those are the aspects that I want to focus on. And he said to me, I will, from my part, I can only do some private testing for your fertility and get your egg reserves and, and, and go down that route from a symptom control and living a better life, this is going to be up to you. And you're going to have to do your own research and on your work and figure out what works for you, what doesn't, try supplements. And that's where it all started. So at that point, I'd spent quite a lot of money on diagnosis and consultations alone. And then it was a matter of, okay, well, then I did my fertility testing and spent over 600 pounds on that, which was crazy. Um, and then it was a matter of, all right, well, how do I, how do I do this now? How do I take care of my, my body and my endometriosis. What do I do? And I was a scientist, you know, I, at this point I was finishing my, um, my PhD, like you rightly said. Um, and that was difficult by the way, getting through a PhD twice. I wanted to quit. And my co-founder, Dr. Lukasz Krzyzewski, he was there and, and, and he, he helped me through all of that. Um, but that was when I thought, okay, as a scientist who knows a lot about the human body, who's a molecular biologist, <laughs> Um, I still didn't know what to do with myself. Um, and so then I had to plan my way through a lot of research, contacting a lot of health coaches and nutritionists and practitioners, women's health practitioners, uh, as well as doctors who were open-minded to helping me in alternative ways rather than just medication. And to uh, and that brought me to a stage where I could be a lot more confident. Um, I took charge of my health a lot more. Uh, my period pains we're a lot more manageable. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes they come and they come strong. Um, so, so it's not, you know, I have flare ups, but just less often as I used to. Um, anxiety is much less than it was previously. And so the quality of my life changed drastically. And I haven't been to the hospital for pains like that in the past three years. Um, and so that for me is a huge, and, and that was the trigger. It was, it was the trigger of, I want to do something about this. And I want to do it now. And that means education of women about their health, their anatomy, their body, and how to take control of it. Providing access to cheaper alternatives in getting insights about your body, your fertility, your hormones, your vagina. You know, I was having recurring infections, even though I wasn't sexually active. Um, I was having these infections. And I later found out that it was because my vaginal microbiome was an absolute mess because of my hormonal balance issues. Mm. Um, so getting that kind of insight gave me the power to do something about it. And I wanted to make that available for women, um, so that they can take charge of that. And so hopefully they can teach their daughters. And so hopefully we can have a whole societal change, um, in the way we view women, how we help women and the way we conduct research, uh, and, and even develop medication for women. What really gets me about your story is, well, a couple of things it's, it's a story I've heard so many times before, but also, you know, the fact that you, you getting this on this road to a diagnosis was a fluke. Yeah. You it know, was. <laughs> if you hadn't, if that, that ultrasound technician who specialized in women's health hadn't been in that day, you know, you would have I had to have gone back on that kind of conveyor belt of scans and to seeing yeah. more doctors. So that's just, that really gets to me that, you know, that we you just, we don't still don't have the training in all aspects of, you know, medicine to really identify women's health conditions, you know, like the fact that, you know, they thought it was a digestive 
issue. They thought you had IBS. You know, we know that, you know, that's one of the most common misdiagnoses of endometriosis. But also going back to what you said about you sitting that exam paper at Cambridge and how you know, I'm sure that they thought that they were doing you a massive favor. Oh, right? yeah. You know, they were doing what they could, right? I yeah. Look into that bedroom. Yeah. Paper and, a, and, a, and an invigilator. <laughs> Just wow. <laughs> and the fact that, like, they weren't able to say, well, actually, you know, can we, you can just do it tomorrow. You know, we can have, we can make a setup for you. Because if they were able to send an invigilator to your room, then they could have just done the same sort of thing uh, the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the kind of lack of understanding of the level of pain that you were experiencing, but like kudos to you for being able to do write that paper while you were you know, doubled up in, in pain. And I'm sure you did very well. <laughs> I could have done better. Right? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I don't think I, you know, I, I, at the point, my friends were like, well, you know, my mom was like, well done, you know, you did this. And I look back and I think I don't, you know, yes, uh, well done for, for sitting that paper in pain. Maybe I shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I should have refused to sit that paper and maybe that would have forced the system to then accommodate for my pain. I think this is the mistake that a lot of, uh, a lot of women make is we, we are massive at accommodating, mm-hmm. love accommodating, right? Like we hate um, confrontation or we hate being a burden. Um, and I certainly hate being, you know, I, 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 I'm really, really bad at, um, at feeling like I'm inconveniencing other people. Um, but it's, for the sake, I think at this point is, I think for the sake of, if I ever have daughters, um, you know, I don't want them to go through this. And and for that sake, I think we have to be like, actually, no, um, there is nothing heroic in walking all over yourself. Um, it's, that is not heroic. Um, you're setting the path um, for just being ignored and mistreated Um you know, just not being taken seriously and definitely setting the path for the healthcare system to not differentiate between women's health and generic health or men's health. And that's where the issue is. Mm. I had a lot of high-tech tests done on me. You know, I was having my arterial blood being examined because they thought something's wrong with my heart. My resting heart rate was way above what it should be. Um, and so I was having all sorts of things like really high-end tests being done. Um, the only reason being no one stopped to think when looking at this individual with these symptoms, let's also think about the fact that she has a vagina, a uterus and ovaries, you know, let's think about that also, because if someone had done that, surely, you know, earlier than that, someone would say, maybe, maybe let's think that this might be a hormonal situation. Hmm maybe let's think that this is to do with her reproductive system because she has one we can't diagnose or treat women by completely ignoring the fact that they have a whole reproductive system and a hormonal system that rules everything and you 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 talked also about how you had seen that doctor who said basically said you know do your you're gonna have to do your own research basically saying okay you know, I've offered you the pill. You don't want to take it. You have family history. So go off and do your own research. And now you're a scientist. So you are comfortable with diving into the research, you know, 
going on to PubMed, doing a search, you know, knowing how to even use PubMed, knowing how to like dissect a paper and the different types of papers. And I just, I find that the fact that, you know, you still struggled um, to find answers, even, even given your background. And I just think about like women that I speak to who are just like, they just feel completely unmoored by this. They can't find answers. They're Googling, they're following like just random advice from like health, like just like fitness influencers and just anything because they're just so desperate for for answers. Um, And now this led to you starting your own femtech business. Do with that word femtech, is that, you know, <laughs> I I kind of, it feels like to me in the same category as like mom blogger. It's, <laughs> you know, you're a blogger and you're a mom. You are a tech entrepreneur and you're a woman, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I feel like femtech has now become the generic term for women's health. Um, like women's health, anything like... Uh, entrepreneurship or solutions it's all kind of now coming and fitting into femtech um yeah it did lead to that um you know struggling as a scientist to even find out what i need uh, and realizing that h- how many different pieces i needed in order to really get the help i i want the quality of help um it's and then of course realizing that the majority of the women out there won't even be able to do what i did i was privileged enough to have that saving to be able to spend it I was privileged enough to have had the education um, and the time to be able to spend finding what I needed. Um, and, and so it shouldn't be for, it was hard as a woman who was privileged, um, let alone if you're not, if you are a mother who doesn't have time to even scratch her head, let alone spend time on yourself. If you haven't had uh, education in the sciences, if you don't have the money to spend, you shouldn't be you shouldn't have to live in pain or live with a lack of help and support. And so the initial idea was, why can't we have, you know, doctors, health coach and practitioners, nutritionists, you know, women's health coaches, as well as scientists come together in order to form uh, a platform, uh, an environment where women can go and they can get the help they need from the medicals, you know, from, from a medical side, from, from a holistic side and from a scientific side. Um, why is that not available? And, and why is that not there? And that's what started my, my journey with Screen Me is bringing together um, medical, scientific and, and holistic practitioners um, in order to provide women with a safe space where they can be heard or listen to, because I know that for 20, whatever, you know, nine, eight, 17 years, no one actually took me. So, you know, no one listened to what I'm saying, which is, hello, I'm in pain. Something is wrong. Um, you know, you're anxious, you're depressed, you have exams. That's you not listening to me. Um, so a space for women to be heard and then to be advised uh, in, in, in a scientifically accurate uh, and, and professional, but open-minded way um, and provided affordable testing. Uh, in order to get the insight and then put in touch. You know, that's what we do in Screamy is we get women who come to us for advice, they do their testing, and then we connect them with the right individuals who can help them. You know, I didn't ha- I didn't know where to look um, to find those 
health coaches that could help me. It was, you know, Google is a big place and, and who knows what to, you know, I can confidently say 80% of the information I read was not true. Um, so, you know, and, a safe space to be heard, to be provided with insight and to be then referred to the right sources in order to receive the personal help that you need. Mm. So you then, you and your co-founder founded Mm. your company, Screen Me, and there's a focus on testing gut and vaginal along with other types of blood testing. Um, I'm really interested in what you said about the vaginal microbiome and how certain conditions where there's a hormonal aspect affect the vaginal microbiome. And what's really interesting is that I don't think that, as you said, you know, you were having lots of infections and then you finally made the link between your changing hormones and the issues with your vaginal microbiome. And I was just reading something yesterday about this woman. She was constantly getting UTIs Mm -hmm. and how she had constantly being put on antibiotics to try to clear the UTIs. And then reading the comments, so many other women talking about the exact same issue and then starting to talk about other issues with their health. And I just, it just made me think how, you know, we're starting to know more about the gut. Yeah. And it's a really like fascinating space, but there's still so much research that needs to be done around the vaginal microbiome. So can you just talk a little bit for someone's listening who doesn't even know, like, oh my gosh, my vagina, my vagina has a microbiome. What does that mean? Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. I think the fact that we know so much like everyone knows gut health and gut microbiome um and we don't the vagina itself is is representative of the way our society works the reason we all know about the gut microbiome is because men also have guts uh, and so it's a bigger market and so there's more money being pumped into that market um so everyone talks about it but the vaginal so actually the vaginal microbiome is a lot more understood than the gut is um because it's a lot more simple so Yes, the vagina has a microbiome. The vagina is an opening into our body. And so what people don't realize is that because it's an opening into our reproductive system, it's actually a very sensitive area. It means things can go into our body, uh, unwanted things, disease-causing agents. And so the vagina is like the immune system of that reproductive system. It's there to stop you getting unwanted disease-causing bacteria, yeast, other you know viruses, in you know, it's there to stop it, and it does that through the microbiome. So it has an ecosystem of bacteria that are there to help keep the reproductive system safe and the vagina clean. So the vagina is self-cleaning when it's healthy. So this environment is not unlike the gut. It's meant to be not diverse. The gut we want it to be diverse to be healthy. Uh, the vagina should not be diverse. We want the vagina to be dominated by produ- pr- uh, protective bacteria that make it acidic. Um, and when we have, you know, health issues, so the vagina, this ecosystem is maintained through this very fine balance of hormones that we have. And when we have any kind of issues with our hormonal system, with our immune system, the vagina reacts to that. The ecosystem reacts to that. So, you know, kind of going, finding that out while I was doing my PhD and having my own issues, it was for me, it was mind blowing. I was like, oh my goodness, there's so much we can understand by looking at the vaginal ecosystem. 
you know, I could tell if a woman was having, you know, estrogen issues just by looking at the vaginal ecosystem when the bloods would not show anything. Um, so the vagina is a very, very good way of looking at women's hormonal and immune health. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very representative ecosystem to be looking at as a powerful tool um, when it comes to inside diagnosis and treatment. Um, so, so yeah, your vagina is there. The microbiome is there. It's really important. It plays a really important role in preventing infections uh, in lowering your risk of STDs as well. So we know women who don't get STDs sometimes, even, even when they're not that careful and women who get them all the time. And the difference is their vaginal microbiomes and how protective it is, which is very interesting. So your protection against infections and STDs, um, protection against HPV. So, you know, what makes a woman get rid of an HPV infection? The clearance rate is higher and woman who doesn't is their vaginal microbiome um, and, and how protective that is. So we know that women who have imbalanced vaginal microbiome, dysbiosis, they have very slow clearance of HPV. And so that can then go on to cancer and, and other complications and pelvic inflammatory disease and all of that. So the vaginal microbiome is really important for infection, STD, HPV, and fertility complications. So we know that women who don't have enough lactobacillus or protective bacteria in their vagina are at higher risk of miscarriage, um, infertility, and also IVF um, implantation failure. So really the vagina is the key really at the core of a woman's reproductive system and her immune system. And um, I think all women should really understand their vagina and um, give it, uh, you know, the, the attention it needs in order to protect themselves uh, from disease down the line. What are a few things, a few simple things that a woman can do to improve her vaginal microbiome? Yeah, good question. Um, so first of all, would be hormonal health. Think hormonal health. So balancing your hormones is really, really important in order to take care of your vaginal microbiome. No matter what you do, if your hormones are not doing well, you can't you can't fix the microbiome. Um, so, so think hormonally friendly lifestyle. Think hormonally friendly nutrition. Um, you know, understand your periods. Um, talk to someone who understands periods um, and, and, and eat for your hormones. Um, I think that's really, really important way to start, uh, start that. The next would be hygiene. A lot of people think the vagina needs to be cleaned. And there's a lot of products out there that pushes us to, to clean the vagina. Um, the vagina is self-cleaning if it's healthy. So actually using products to clean the vagina is going to cause problems. It's going to change the pH of the vagina, and it can also cause dysbiosis or an imbalance of that bacterial environment. So we shouldn't really be washing the vagina with any cleaning products. Water alone should be enough. If the vagina is smelling abnormal, or it's offending you, or you're uncomfortable, that is a big sign. That's your body telling you something is wrong. The, you know, your, your, your line of protection down there is down. Uh, and so get help, find out why that's happening, get yourself screened, um, find out what is going on, why there's a dysbiosis. Uh, and then there's ways of then fixing that, you know, working with a coach, with an intimate health coach, um, you can actually take control and regain that balance. So that's, that's really, really important with the hygiene uh, part of things as well. And this other is your sex life. Um, it's, it's really important to be aware of, um, obviously, 
safe sex, as as everyone knows, is really important. But then even if you are with one partner, um, I often find a woman becoming, well, I'm always just with my partner, so I don't need to be careful. You need to be careful. Um, So the products you use in your sex life are really important. So lube, for example, is one that can be very problematic um, in in the vaginal microbiome. Um, Just, you know, over-the-counter lube, uh, stuff that we buy has has stuff in it that can cause dysbiosis in in the vagina. So be careful of the products that you use in your intimate life in general. Um, Make sure that they are vaginally friendly. Unfortunately, you know, products are made for purposes like making sex easy, but they're not made with the thought of what will this do to the vagina? You know, how will this affect the vagina? That's not taken into account when products are created. Um, So do you do some research? Um, we've got a lot of blogs on our website about these topics, educational blogs on, you know, how to choose lube, how to take care of the vagina. Um, that can be that can be very helpful. Um, I think being aware of these things will automatically change the way you start choosing uh, and using products, uh, underwear, you know, choose cotton. Um, be careful of, of others. It increases your ease. The last tip. I'm going to say, because it's so, so often is we love living in leggings. Everyone's wearing leggings all the time. Um, Leggings are one of sometimes the number one culprits of uh, vaginal dysbiosis. You know, it's, um, it can, it's, it's not breathable. It's not as breathable. It creates quite a dark, moist environment. um, And that can encourage the growth of some of the bad bacteria. So, be wary of the stuff that you wear around your, you know, around your groin area uh, for long periods of time. Um, make sure that you are allowing your groin area to breathe um, and and take care of it. Be aware. I would say an annual vaginal microbiome test for every woman um, is, is the way to make sure that you're protected, that you're lowering your risk of infections. Um, and as you go through life, you're one step ahead of the game and even your hormones. Fantastic. I know that that will help so many. Like I learned, I learned something there as well. And I would definitely be linking to the blogs, blog posts that you mentioned, um, choosing the right lube, super important. Um, So look out for those in the show notes. Just to kind of close off our conversation, you are really passionate about educating women and making sure that they feel the empowerment that maybe you didn't feel when you were going through your diagnosis journey. What do you think that women need to do to take charge of their health? That's a, that's a good question. Um, I think it starts with learning about the body. You know, that's the first step is acknowledge that you have a vagina, a uterus, an ovaries, irrespective of fertility and having a baby. It doesn't matter whether having a child is on your timeline or not. Your body is is more than that. Um, And so so learn of the importance of your your reproductive system in your health. Um, Keep track of your periods. Understand how your body ticks. When do I, you know, this is how I feel at this point in my cycle. That's how I feel at the other point in my cycle. You know, I get pain at, at this point understand how your body ticks, make friends with it. That's the first step is I think I didn't, I I didn't understand my body and it took me a while to actually be okay. My body is unique and this is how it is. And then the next step would be get insight. 
you know, get insights into the different aspects of your, of your body. Um, whether it be, I'm going to actually do my, you know, I'm going to just do a normal nutrition test, like just, you know, my bloods and look at my vitamin levels and, and see where I stand. That can be quite empowering, uh, you know, just, just knowing what your body needs, um, get insight, understand your unique needs. And then small, it doesn't mean you have to make huge changes in your life to take control. You don't really small changes go a long, long way. They did for me and they do for a lot of women that um, we've seen, that we've tested, uh, that we've referred on. Little small changes make a huge life-changing difference. The first step being, I feel like someone's heard me. I feel like I understand my body better and I now know what to do next. It's not going to be an overnight thing. It's going to be time. But it's just about taking that first step. Fantastic. Where can people find you? Oh, everywhere. Um, so you can you can definitely find us on screenme.co.uk. There's a small chat box on the website. That's me, usually, 99% of the time. Um, uh, you can find us on Instagram at screenmewoman. Um, feel free to message us there uh, as well, or just email us at support at screenme.co.uk. Um, we're very open in supporting women and directing them in the direction that they need to go. Sometimes we can't help, but we will then direct direct women and where they need to go um, or just provide information where they need it. So don't be shy in asking questions um, or just saying, I need help in this thing. We are we are more than happy to to, to just help. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been so informative speaking to you. And thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you very much for having me, Lenny's. For more inspiring conversations, head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you want help with your menstrual or hormone health, email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tag us, come say hi, and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on Instagram and Twitter on at periodstorypod or email us at hello at periodstorypod.com. I'm Lenise Brothers, and you've been listening to Period Story. Thank you so much for listening.